This week, Reverend Wendy continues to explore Jean Houston's book, The Wizard of Us. Reverend Wendy looks at the deeper wisdom of the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Following the arc of the Scarecrow's story, Reverend Wendy talks about the Scarecrow's quest for a brain and how he creates his journey through Oz with Dorothy, Toto, and their other companions. Perfect setup for our second part in exploring the great life lessons in the classic movie, the classic story, The Wizard of Oz. And today we are going to be talking about the archetype of the scarecrow, if I only had a brain. <laughs> Bob came up to me before the service and said, so is your lesson gonna be all about men this morning? <laughs> I said, no, my mind hadn't even gone there. <laughs> if I only had a brain. So we're, we are building on the story of the Wizard of Oz and looking at it through grown up adult eyes for the great life lessons that it absolutely contains for us. And we are using in part as our basis the work done by Jean Houston in her book, The Wizard of Us. And she takes the storyline of The Wizard of Oz and reminds us that it really is the storyline of the hero's journey. And that if we will but look, we will see ourselves in all the different phases and all the different characters in The Wizard of Oz. From Dorothy to the Wicked Witch of the East to Glenda to all of the different characters, they, they point to something inside of us much the same way as all of the characters in the Bible and all the great stories, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, are not meant to be taken literally, at least that's the way we look at it in unity, that they're not meant to be taken literally. That these stories in our Bible, Old Testament and New, are really also archetypical stories and stories that describe the awakening and the evolution of the soul as it comes into God consciousness. But that's a whole other story. We're going to talk about Dorothy and we're going to talk about the scarecrow and talk about that journey. And so of course we know that we've got as the main characters of the story Dorothy and Toto and because of the tornado their house was lifted out of Kansas and plopped in the land of Oz and Dorothy is about to begin a journey to the Emerald City to meet the wonderful Wizard of Oz that she is told will be able to solve her problem and help her get back home. And of course, into her journey, she meets some companions, some friends that join her on the yellow brick road, each looking for something that they feel is missing in their lives and that if they only had that something, their life would be so much better. Can you relate right there? Sure, there's, for every one of us, there seems to be something that we yearn for, something that we feel isn't quite there or isn't quite what we want, and our soul is stretching for it, wanting it, wanting to bring it forth and experience it. And that longing is about the feeling that when we experience whatever it is we're longing for, somehow we will feel more complete. Somehow our life will will work better. And so we have Dorothy traveling along the Yellow Brick Road and she's barely begun her journey. And I love this. She's barely begun her journey and she comes right up to a fork in the Yellow Brick Road. Now Glenda didn't tell her, 
Hey, sweetheart. On your journey, this yellow brick road is going to have some twists and turns and some forks in the road, and you're going to have to make some choices. You know, she doesn't tell her that at the, at the beginning, but no sooner does she start on this yellow brick road, start on the path with her best friend, Toto, that she comes upon the fork in the road, and she sees the scarecrow, and she wonders out loud, what way should she go? And all of a sudden, as she's kind of asking herself that question, and she notices the scarecrow, scarecrow's arms that way. And she's kind of perplexed by that. Scarecrows don't move. And she kind of looks and you almost hear her talking to Toto. In fact, I think she does. And then she looks up again, and now the arm is like that. And she's really confused. Okay, which way am I to go? Is it that way? Is it that way? What are the options for me? And then the scarecrow does this. Can you relate to that at all? <laughs> I mean, I can so relate to that. How many of you in this room suffer at all from overthinking major decisions? Raise your hand. How about overthinking even not so major decisions? You know, we have this wonderful mind, and it really is wonderful, but sometimes we use it almost too much or exclusively and don't marry it with the wisdom of the heart. But that's next week. We're not, we're not quite there yet. We're focusing on if I only had a, a brain right now. And so the scarecrow is telling her, well, that's a good way. And then says, well, that's a good way. And they're both kind of okay. Boy, I think the scarecrow must be a student of Zen. <laughs> because in a way, in a way, ultimately, ultimately, if our life journey is a journey of unfolding, of our soul growing, do you think only one path will provide that opportunity? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Whether we go this way, this way, or not, we will still have the opportunity to grow and to evol evolve. The journey may look and feel different, and we may meet other people on the way, depending upon whether we've gone right or we've gone left. But the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to learn the things that our soul has uniquely come here to learn can happen whether we go left or whether we go right. So this is what Jean writes in The Wizard of Us about the fork in the road. She says, the fork in the road is traditionally a big moment in any mythic journey because it indicates the need to see both, if not all, paths available. This critical choice point represents the separation of the hero's known world and self. It is the point in which the hero transitions between worlds and selves to see the potential for a new world and a new self. The fork in the road can be frightening, for the hero doesn't know what lies ahead. And so we're at that fork, and Jean says, consider yourself at that same place. Consider a really important fork in the road moment in your own life. Can you remember one? A really important fork in the road moment in your life, where you had the opportunity to either go left or go right, and you picked whatever you picked. And you're where you are now, absolutely, in part, because of the direction you chose to go. But Jean says, stop and pause for a moment and think about the fork you didn't take. 
Think about the fourth you didn't take. Think about the path you didn't take and how different your life would be if you had taken that path. When I think about the most critical fork in the road moment in my life, it was when I was given the opportunity at 17 and a half to take a fork in the road called join ice capades and skate with them or go on with all my best friends and pursue college like everybody else I knew was going to do. I took the fork in the road called ice capades. It didn't last very long. <laughs> it was a really short part of, of my path. But the reality is, had I not chosen that fork in the road, you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. <laughs> Truly, this church wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I'm sure your soul would have found whatever you're looking for spiritually somewhere else. I'm not at all suggesting that this is the answer for you, but I am saying that had I taken that other fork, you would have been on your spiritual journey with a different set of people in a very different place. It wouldn't have been here. We are here by divine appointment, not just my appointment with you, but our appointment with each other. Is that not mind-boggling when you really stop to think about that? And could you not, when you stop to think about that, choose to hold a different attitude and a different thought about those people in your life that you call sandpaper to your soul? Stretch with me. <laughs> Because somehow, whether you really want to consciously admit it or not, on a soul level, you guys have an agreement with each other. It may be an agreement to disagree. <laughs> but you have an agreement with each other. You're in each other's lives for a reason. And I believe that ultimately everything always works out for a highest and best, even though sometimes it takes a bit of the journey before we begin to reap those rewards or see that. And so the scarecrow's directions really confuse Dorothy. She, can't, she wonders why the scarecrow can't make up his mind. Why can't he make up his mind? And she asks him that. And he explains that he can't make up his mind because he doesn't have a brain. And one of my absolute favorite parts in the movie is she's confused because she thinks, well, he's got to have a brain because he can talk. And here's my favorite line, and I have to be really careful here. Some of you who know me will know why this is particularly dangerous territory for me. Because the scarecrow answers her and says, well, sometimes people without brains do an awful lot of talking. <laughs> sometimes people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And it can be really dangerous, can it? can be very, very dangerous. We're given one mouth and two ears. I think Spirit was trying to say we should listen twice as much as we talk, and we should certainly engage our mind. And next week when we talk about the heart, the wisdom of the heart, before we overuse this thing. The scarecrow, in that brief little part of the story, kind of gives us some really sweet and helpful things to remember in our hero's journey. You know, yes, this is just a story, but, but it's a story with a mythical message. It's a story that has archetypes that bear us, that, that we would benefit paying attention to. And so we have this archetype of the scarecrow who says he doesn't have a brain, doesn't think he has a brain, and this is what he longs for. And yet, 
he engages with a being, Dorothy, a young girl, that's nothing at all like him. Would you not say that one of the ways that we grow, both in wisdom and in common sense and intellectually, is if we will extend ourselves and interact with people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't hold the same um, ideas or life experiences, to get out of our tiny little bubble of life and expose ourselves to different kinds of people, uh, enrich ourselves in that way. I think it is absolutely one of the most beautiful and powerful ways that we grow on every different level and certainly intellectually and mentally. As I choose to engage with people that are different than me and I choose to genuinely try to understand and listen and know and learn, I'm gonna emerge from that a better version of myself. I may get greater clarity on why I think or feel the way that I do, or I may find, oh my goodness, I've just been exposed to new information, new concepts, I never thought of it that way. And sometimes the exchange of connecting with people that are different than us requires us really looking at where we have implicit biases and where we are prejudiced and we don't even know that we are. To be willing to get uncomfortable sometimes in those kinds of conversations and interactions. So the scarecrow isn't afraid to reach out someone very different than he is. I think we need to pay attention to that. Second, and this is a really key point, he's stuck. He's stuck. He tells Dorothy, I can't get down from here, and Dorothy, will, Dorothy helps him, but he's stuck in your journey. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt really stuck? We might not always use the word stuck. Sometimes we talk about being on a plateau right, where it doesn't seem like externally things are changing despite practicing the things that we know are beneficial for us to practice. And we can feel, I think it's a normal feeling when we feel stuck or on a plateau to get discouraged. And I think this is why, just like Dorothy has friends that she picks up along the way to help her in our journey, I really think that we need each other in the healthiest sense of that word, in our journeys, because there are times that we're going to feel stuck, that we're going to need somebody who can see in us something that we don't see in ourselves, somebody who can be our cheerleader, somebody who wants the very best for us and will help us to achieve that by reminding us who and what we really are. So he's stuck and he acknowledges that we cannot ever change, improve, or correct something unless we can see it first. We have to first be able to acknowledge what's not working. I've been spending a lot of time this past weekend, the past five or six days actually, supporting our daughter Jennifer in her midterm writing assignments. She's allowed to have a writing coach, and there are writing coaches at Cal that the students can turn to. She has an unusual learning disability, and it'll, that disability allows me to be her writing coach. I'm a decent writer, but it's not something I love doing. And writing, teaching somebody to write, 
I think is a very challenging thing to do. How do you help somebody learn to take abstract thoughts and put them in precise language so you can convey what it is that you mean? And to give you some context, it's a sociology class she's taking, and it's all about Marx and Engels. I didn't go to college, remember? So as I'm working with her, part of it has been a, long, a very long journey to help her see where writing isn't good, where her writing isn't good, so she can do better. So I had this moment with her. As I'm sitting at my computer and I'm reading aloud to her what she has written, that we have now spent at least 10 hours back and forth over two days with me trying to coach her. Coaching is not the same thing as doing it for her, right? Coaching. And all of a sudden, she reads a sentence, and she says, Mom, that's a lousy sentence. That's terrible. And I said, yes, I'm so happy you noticed that. <laughs> it was like for the first time, for the first time, a light bulb of awareness went off where she could see what we had spent a long time trying to help her see the difference between, in this case, quality writing or really poor writing. Now that she can see it, when we went through some of the rest of the paper, she could say to me, this is pretty good. This one's not so good. Boy, I don't know what I meant there. The same is true of us, just like the scarecrow recognized I'm stuck, I have to get unstuck before I can move forward, you and I have to not misuse our metaphysical teachings. They do not just mean, they do not mean be pie in the sky, Pollyanna optimistic. That is not what our teachings mean. We must be willing to see where we are stuck, acknowledge it, call it, what it is, ask for help. The scarecrow asks for help, right? Ask for help from someone that you have a reason to believe can help you. You'll have to still do your own work, but you won't have to do it all by yourself. And you'll have paved the way to know you're moving from this toward that. And the other thing that he does that is so incredibly important in the story that we, we don't want to forget is a beautiful scene when he is finally off of the, the stake and Dorothy has basically asked him, you know, so if you had a brain, what would you do? And then he bursts out in delightful song and vividly, vividly describes what he would do if he only had a brain. He clearly knew what he would do if he only had a brain. He only had a brain. That's metaphysics 101 right there. To know what it is we long for. To know what it is we want. To be as clear with it as we possibly can. To write about it, to visualize it, to sing about it, to vision board about it. To be as clear, this is what I want. This is what I would do if I had X, Y, Z. And not to use the fact that you don't have it right now as an excuse, no. But to get as clear and real in your mind in terms of what that would be. That is basic, basic metaphysics. If I only had a brain, 
I'm going to spend just the last few minutes that I have in just asking you to, to pause and think for a moment of the amazing thing you have called your brain. Scientists say it weighs about three pounds. We're told it's the most complex organism thing on the entire planet. There's nothing more amazing or brilliant than what this three pounds, that's not very much, does, what it controls, what it influences. We are living to me in both dangerous times and incredibly exciting times. We are living in times where I think that the divorce between religion and science is starting to be healed. And it's not so much the divorce anymore between religious and sci religion and science, but I think there is going to, there is, it's not going to be, there is a joining together of spirituality and science. There is so much in the new fields of science, especially as it relates to um, quantum physics, as it relates to the brain and to the mind, that absolutely supports what we, not only in unity, but the Buddha taught this before the Fillmore's taught this, have held to be true. We are living in exciting times where we are able to map things that we only intuitively thought about or felt before. There is so much research into the mapping, the neuroplasticity of the brain, how the brain actually works and functions, that the brain itself is evolving, that the brains that we had when we were living in tribes and caves and having to fend off saber-toothed tigers and, and fight our way for mere survival, our brains were formed in a certain way, certain parts of the brain being made stronger so that we could do the things we had to do in the environment we were living in at the time. Would you not say we live in a different environment now? Would that not suggest the, not only importance, but the imperativeness of us evolving a brain to work better in these circumstances today? I want to read a piece to you from Jean and then share a bit, uh, one more bit of, of science before I close here. Jean writes, in the distant past, when we depended on our brain for survival in challenging weather like the ice ages or very difficult, difficult circumstances like finding food and shelter and avoiding being killed by four-legged or two-legged beings, we routed our brains along certain growth patterns that grew our brains with regard to certain kinds of intelligences that grew our brains, grew our brains with regard to certain kinds of intelligences and skills and adaptations that kept us alive. Today's challenges are as great, if not greater, given that we are faced with world-destroying possibilities and the archaic reactions to them that it would seem were cooked up in ancient caves. Clearly, if we are going to survive and champion a time of transformation, we need to do something remarkable with our own brains. Do you know that there's something that you can do to evolve your own brain? Do you know what one of the most powerful things you can do is to evolve your own brain? I'm not asking you if you're doing it yet. <laughs> or it is meditation. It is meditation. It is meditation. 
what meditation, those who meditate on a consistent and regular basis, when their brains are mapped, one of the areas of the brain, the insula, becomes thicker. It is measurably, visibly, physically different than that part of the brain in someone who does not meditate. Why is that important? Because that part of the brain helps in regard to awareness and empathy. Do you think that if we had a more empathetic and aware humanity on our planet today in mass that we would be living in a different set of situations than we are right now? Hell yes. We would be. We would be. We would be. And the interesting thing about it is when we, when our brain changes as a result of meditation, of consistent steady practice, and that insular begins to change, what also happens is then we more consistently and more natural, naturally and more automatically respond with greater awareness and empathy. And it becomes a self-fulfilling and self-perpetuating cycle. So if you've ever felt, boy, sometimes it's so hard to, to try to be as empathetic as I'd like to be or to stay as aware as I would like to be. It's because your brain isn't fully developed in that capacity along those lines to help you out. One plays off of the other. So I hope that I have really lit a fire under you. That's not a good thing to say right now, is it? Nor is it a good thing when we're talking about Strike that. The last time I talked about fire from this platform and had a smoke machine here, our ranch burned. Three weeks. So scratch that. Um, however, I hope that I have inspired you to really take up your meditation practice, to really know that you hold in your hands a skill that can absolutely help to transform your life, but can also make a difference in the lives of every person that you touch. So the scarecrow is you. The scarecrow is me. We already have a brain. Let's develop it and use it a little bit more. Namaste. Thanks for listening. The Unity Center, transforming lives and healing our world. Check us out Sundays at 9 and 11. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.